The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Fucking... to the two-man power trip of wrestling i'm your host jp john pause of course with me is a very special guest former ring of honor two-time world heavyweight champion former tna impact world heavyweight champion three times over you may know him as a double he is of course austin aries austin welcome back to the two-man power trip how you doing good john good john thanks for having me good to see you again yes great to see what is going on in your world I'll uh, just uh, out here in uh, Palm Springs at the moment, took a little trip out to the West Coast to, uh, you know, just I like to travel. I don't like to stay in one spot too long. So enjoying some uh, sun out here, some hot weather as we were just talking about. And uh, yeah, all is good. What about some wrestling stuff? Have you been wrestling lately? Well, yeah, contrary to some of the uh, some of the headlines I read this last week, uh, I just did a podcast with Brian Hebner for his uh, Reffing It Up podcast. And uh, I always say after I do these podcasts, I wait to see what ridiculous headlines going to be created to uh, get some clickbait. And so this time it was Austin Aries discusses life after being a wrestler. Um, but I am still an active wrestler. I just had a show a few weeks ago in, in uh, North Carolina and um, and the CYN brand control your narrative. We're getting ready to launch a 24 city tour here in the middle of October. So, um, you know, just working, working with these guys to put all that together. It's a, it's a big undertaking, but we're ready for it. Why did, was the headline that you're not wrestling anymore? Like, what, where did they get that from? Uh, well, so one of the, que- uh, the questions, again, they, you know, sometimes if we don't, we don't use context, you know, it's easy to just create, create whatever narrative we want. So the question was what, about a tweet I put out that basically said something about you know, sometimes if you're struggling with with the person you you are, it's uh, it's because you're holding on to the person you used to be uh, and and not allowing yourself to be the person you're becoming. So I was just talking about where you know I'm at this point in my life where after 22 years of you know being a professional wrestler, you know I feel I'm in this place of transition. I still love wrestling. I'm still pretty good at it, um, but I do see that you know there's other paths for me in my life. So we were just talking about that and talking about the time I did step away, uh, you know, a couple of years ago during, you know, uh, the, the COVID-19 pandemic, you know, wrestling kind of came to a shutdown um, and it allowed me to really completely uh, disconnect from the pro wrestling bubble, which I hadn't really done 
my whole adult life. So I just talked about that journey and trying to really find myself independent of the character Austin Aries and who I am as a human being, right? We carry these labels and these, and these characters we create for ourselves, And sometimes we can lose our sense of self. And so I was just talking about that journey and how I took about a year away and really was important for me to disconnect completely and, and really just rediscover who I was as a human. And so just that was really what I was talking about. But of course, they, you know, they take that out of context. And then the headline makes it sound like I'm no longer an active wrestler, which, uh, again, couldn't really be, you know, be any further from the truth. So uh, but I get it. You know, sometimes out of sight, out of mind. I haven't been on any you know, major network uh, television. You know, I've been wrestling more on the independence, doing a lot with the control your narrative brand. Um, but no, I haven't been on on any of the major brands. So, so I get where you know, for for people who only follow WWE or AEW, um, that you know, if you haven't seen me there, you may think that I've retired. But that's not the case. So, what's going on with CYN? Because I saw they had the tour, but you mentioned they're coming up with twenty four city tour. But I saw they had one; it was canceled. I'm not sure if that was through whoever was helping you guys do it. So, is it back on? Is the tour, or is it going to be announced? I guess really should should say. I mean, as far as the tour is, is going, as far as I know, um, could there be some dates along those 24 cities that may may get altered? I mean, it's pro wrestling. These things happen. We are doing a lot of co-branding with a lot of the local promotions in these uh, in these cities that we're going to be running. Um, so, you know, listen, for for a relatively new promotion that doesn't have national television, um, this is a this is a big undertaking to do it, to do a, a 20 plus city tour over you know three months. So, um, you know, there could be some hiccups in the road, but we're prepared for that. And, you know, like we always do in wrestling, you know, you got to be nimble and you got to kind of go with the flow. And um, at the end of the day, we're, we're excited for what we're going to be able to do. And and uh, co-branding, you know, is great, too. You know, we, we, we've done that a couple shows already with some other promotions. Like I said, the North Carolina, we just did with AML. And, um, you know, it's a lot of fun and, and to, to bring that brand to these promotions. And uh, it creates some excitement for the fans, creates some excitement for the talent behind the scenes. And, um, you know, we're doing these, these seminars um, that, you know, have been really um, different than anything that I've really done, focusing a lot less on the in-ring stuff and more about really diving into who these people are as humans, what makes them tick, what their real story is, you know, why they're doing this for a living why they're pursuing this as their dream. And, uh, you know, it tends to get a little emotional because when you start peeling back the layers and really, you know, finding out people's real story, um, that's where we start to find some common ground. You know, we've all had struggles. We've all had, you know, things we've had to overcome. And, uh, you know, I always say the pro wrestling business is, you know, we're really trying to sell emotion. We're trying to pull emotion uh, out of the fans. So if we can't tap into our own internal emotions, you know, it makes it difficult to do that when the light comes on. So, you know, that's what we're really focusing on when we go around and, and do these seminars and, um, you know, kind of creating that safe space for people to really share who they are and uh, and be supported in that. And know that they have uh, people around them that are going to support them uh, and, you know, in their authentic self. When did you kind of like make the switch as far as like, cause obviously great wrestler, been a great wrestler god since i've seen you in the early 2000s but it's almost like you're kind of making a switch to more character base it seems like um well i think that that initial switch was kind of when i adopted the greatest man that ever lived moniker which i still can't say it without like laughing like it's so it was so tongue-in-cheek right like it was never yeah. it, it makes me giggle every time someone calls me that because it's like literally the most absurd thing you could call yourself but that was the point at the time 
you know, up until then I had been, I had been, you know, known as the wrestling machine, you know, the good match guy. Um, and that's, I say the hardest dollar to earn in pro wrestling, you know, um, because, you know, you're physically having to get people invested. So when you can have more depth to your character and you can add that element to it, it makes it so much easier. It gives you a lot more depth and opportunity to connect with people. So, you know, I really think that that was, that was the initial, um, kind of foray into really trying to focus on the character aspect because, you know, you realize is, okay, I'm a really good technical wrestler, but you know, when there's guys like AJ Styles out there, or Brian Danielson, who are, who are as good and, and better, um, you better find something that you can hang your hat on. That's going to set you apart. And if you're just relying on the moves, um, that's difficult because as we get older, that's the first thing that's going to go is going to be our athletic ability and the capability to do some of those things that we could do when we were younger. So it was important for me to, to really dive into the other component and, and that character component of it and, and figure that out. So, um, you know, and it's, and it's always an evolution that, you know, and, and so I'm at this, you know, I'm a completely different person now than I was five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. And so I think, you know, the best pro wrestling is when we can have some authenticity to it, we can pull from reality. And so I think that that's the place I'm in now, you know, um, just figuring out what that looks like at, at this stage in my career. Do you think that when you do the seminars and stuff, like it, it is completely different than what you're used to? Because maybe you used to be all wrestling. Now you're going into more of the character biz, character driven, character based stuff. I mean, is that completely different as far as doing like the seminars and stuff? Not completely, because I I did enough seminars as someone who was attending them early in my career to know where I got the most value. And very rarely was the most value by doing a bunch of drills in the ring or doing a bunch of arm drags or hip tosses or, or bumps. Um, you know, when I do seminars, I always tell the, the, the men and the women that this is their time. They paid for it. And if we want to get in the ring, we want to bump around. We want to do drills. We want to do, you know, technical wrestling. We certainly can, but I feel like you have the opportunity to do that throughout the week, you know, anytime you can get in the ring. But what you don't have the opportunity to do is pick the brain of somebody who's been doing it for 20 plus years. And so I always felt the most value was was really more of a classroom style seminar where we get to really sit and talk about why we're doing the things we're doing. You know, I always say I can I can pretty much watch somebody circle around and lock up. And just based off the lockup, I can have a pretty good idea of how good they are in the ring, right? Just their body language, their presence, how yep. they carry themselves. But now cut me a, you know, cut me a, a 30 or a, or a 90 second promo and sell me on you and why I should pull my money out of my wallet to watch you because we're all good wrestlers. We're all going to be the best. We're all tough. You know, so what's going to make me gravitate to want to see you perform? What's going to make me connect to you? emotionally as a performer and that you know most of the time has very little to do with the in-ring wrestling you know and if you look at some of the biggest stars in the history of this industry they weren't never they weren't necessarily considered the best technical wrestlers you know they were characters or they had something about them that connected with the people so you know i want when i do a seminar i want you know the people that attend that to walk away and feel like it was worth their time it was worth their money. And for me, uh, far and away to sit and talk with people for a couple hours and really dive into the psychology of who they are as a person and try to figure out what's what makes them tick and how they can connect. 
is, is always where that value is. And um, I'll give you an example, you know, some of the seminars we've done you know, recently, you know, we get a lot of the same kind of indie pro wrestling promos, you know, and like I said, everyone wants to be the best and everyone's the toughest and everybody's going to beat you. Um, but a lot of times, you know, I always say we're not always the best actors in this industry. So, so the less you have to make stuff up and the more you can be real, the yeah. better off you're going to be. So I asked one guy, I said, what do you do? Like, what do you do for a living? And he said, oh, I'm a stay-at-home dad. I said, now there's something I haven't really heard much of. Do you know any stay-at-home dad pro wrestlers, Mr. Moms, so to speak? And he said, well, no, not really. I said, so maybe you should dive into that. I said, because right now we're in this world where it's all about creating content. You know, I said, now you're at home with your son and you're doing things with your son or you're doing a load of laundry. And if you film that, you're creating content for your pro wrestling character. You know, you think it's hard to go to the gym, you know, five days a week, you know, three hours a day. You know, try getting up at 6 a.m. every morning and changing diapers in between <laughs> throwing loads of laundry and then making dinner, you know, like because that's real because that's really who he is. And now when he started talking about that, he was no longer trying to portray this character and it was so much more engaging and, and authentic and something I could connect to. And I said, that's where the money is. And I, so I think for a lot of us, we try to put on this character that we want to be as a pro wrestler and we lose that authenticity of who we are as a person. And so, uh, you know, the more we can kind of keep trying to pull from that, it makes this so much easier because again, we're not, we're not necessarily Academy Award winning actors and actresses. So the, the less you have to make things up and the more you can really be authentic of who you really are and then how that relates to pro wrestling, um, especially now, because you see, you know, most pro wrestling fans, they're they're more interested in who the person is behind the scenes necessarily than they are as the, the character in the ring that they see. Right. That's why the dirt sheets are so popular. We want to know what's going on in their real lives behind the scenes. Um, and that's almost in every entertainment avenue. So, um, you know, I think that that's kind of, you know, finding that 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 in between is where the magic lies. For sure. And the only other time I've heard Mr. Mom was uh, Vince McMahon making fun of Scott Hall in 02. He's right. like, no, I'm staying with stay-at-home dad now. He's like, all right, Mr. Mom, pal. He goes, you don't want to come back and reform the NWO, and obviously he comes back. But I remember him saying that for some reason Vince was like, a, like almost like a detrimental thing, like Mr. Mom. But obviously he was doing a good thing. Sure, of course. So that's a tough job, man. Someone And yeah. someone's got to do it. And if and if mom doesn't want to do it and dad doesn't want to do it, well, then what happens is the school system does it, which means your government's raising your kids and they're and they're telling them uh, what they should think and believe. And that and that's a slippery slope. Oh, big time, especially yeah. nowadays. Big especially time. Nowadays. Oh, my God. But CYN, just explain to me, like, what exactly it is and like how you kind of got into because I know it's uh, Braun Strowman and EC3, but how did you kind of get in with those guys? Well, first of all, what it is, I don't think we know yet. You know, I mean, I mean, we do, but we don't. You know, listen, this really started out with with you know EC3 reinventing himself after he left WWE for the second time, and and probably you know being a little bit jaded uh, about maybe some of the, the the ways of the wrestling business has been, and wanted to to kind of rebel and push back and kind of again control control his narrative, you know. Um, and so it was really his creation for his own character, um, you know, development and evolution. And it started to resonate with other with other people within the industry who felt similarly. Right. When you're in this big corporate structure, 
um, a lot of times you don't control a lot of these things. You know, you're told who you're going to be, where you're going to be positioned, you know, what your value is, what your value isn't, um, you know, what you're going to say, sometimes what you're going to wear, what you're going to do in the ring. Um, and that can be difficult, you know. And so I think that's where where, where the original concept came from. And, and uh, you know, there was never this idea to, to have it become its own brand. It's its own touring promotion it just kind of took a life of its own as it started to resonate with more and more performers and more and more people were interested in being involved it kind of you know developed into this and um and you know for me the same thing i kind of watched from afar and i was watching some of these promos that were being put out and some of the more theatrical videos and stuff that were being presented and i and i thought it was something that was different and uh you know i had a good relationship with ec3 back when we worked together at impact um, you know, I'd known Braun, you know, with our time in, in WWE, he was down at NXT still when I when I started there, um, you know, we're both from Wisconsin. So, you know, I was familiar with him as well. And, um, you know, I'd been down in Mexico for for all of last year, again, kind of mostly disconnected from wrestling. I started doing shows in the middle of last year um, here and there ones, you know, ones that interested me that, you know, uh, I wanted to be a part of. And uh, I came back to Florida in January and it was really just supposed to be a temporary kind of couple of month trip back before I went back to Mexico. And uh, I saw that, you know, CYN was having a show in Orlando and I just, I hit up, you know, I hit up EC3 and said, Hey, I'm in town. You know, if, if you think that there's something there for me, something of value that I could bring to the table, let me know. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in what you're doing. And, uh, you know, we quickly hopped on a phone call and just talked about some ideas and, and uh, decided to give it a go, you know, and, and so they announced me, uh, you know, as, as, you know, doing that show. And of course, a uh, certain vocal part of the internet lost their mind and got angry because in their mind I had been canceled or I was no longer wrestling. And when they saw this wasn't the case, they, you know, I don't know if they thought they could like recancel me or something. Uh, and, uh, you know, to, to, to the credit of, of the, you know, the hierarchy of, of CYN, they stuck by me that they, they weren't rattled um, by this, you know, small, small vocal minority. And, um, you know, and, and because, again, that's kind of the whole premise of this, right? Like, it's okay to have a different opinion. It's okay to not agree with everybody on everything. But, you know, we can't live in an echo chamber. We have to learn to be able to sit down and have respectful discourse with people that we don't necessarily see eye to eye with, because that's the way, the only way that we grow and learn as human beings, right? If, if we always surround ourselves with people who act and think just like us, um, then we never evolve and we never become better. And so, you know, I had some real, you know, honest, you know, conversations with these guys about the things that were being said and written about me. And, um, you know, they, they decided to, to not be rattled and, and to not be shaken by this controversy or this outrage. And, um, you know, and I appreciated that because I've, you know, I've, I've been in some other situations where that wasn't the case. And um, it said a lot to me about that they were serious about what they were saying. It wasn't just lip service, but this is, you know, they wanted to create something where everyone was welcome and, and where they weren't going to necessarily feel like they had to bow to any certain ideology, any certain, you know, population of the wrestling industry. It was for everybody. And, uh, you know, from there, it just kind of took a life of its own, did the first couple of events. And, you know, as it started to grow, they, you know, they obviously we, we need kind of all hands on deck. And I've been doing this for a while and, and, and I'm pretty good in the ring, but I can do some other things outside the ring. So I've been excited to, to, you know, jump into that world a little bit with producing matches and helping with creative and dealing with talent and, uh, you know, doing these seminars and, and, and things of that sort. So, um, 
you know, and here we are, you know, now we got a, you know, 20 plus city tour we're about to embark on and, and we're excited. With that, like with the canceling stuff and, and like quote unquote controversies, where does that stem from? Is it the Christy Hemi stuff? Like where are they coming from as far as them coming after you about it? You know, I just, I think it's a combination of things, right? I think the Christy Hemi thing, it, that could be like where like a root of a lot of it is. Right. And, you know, looking back at that, that was almost like the beginning of the cancel culture. You know, like I did something in character impromptu to try to kind of just cover up a mistake my colleague made. Um, and it was taken out of context. And, and it was and it was all of a sudden like Dan Sowell did this horrendous thing, um, not, not understanding that what I did was I, I was every intention to be a jerk and it was supposed to be a bad guy doing a bad guy thing. This wasn't something I, I did in private, you know, when, when the camera was off to admonish her. Um, I wasn't, you know, legitimately angry at her or, or anything of that sort. Um, and that kind of took a life of its own because I remember, you know, me and Christy talked once I once I knew there was any issue or, or she wasn't sure how to take it. And that was really her thing and issues. I she didn't know how to take it. We didn't really talk after it happened to me. It, after it happened, I didn't think about it because nobody said anything. And it was again. Um, the red lights on and you know this is yes we do have things that we talk about beforehand but a lot of the things we just were doing in improv and in the moment and and that happens a lot in this industry and that was one of those and and i just made a spur of the moment decision to try to get some heat off of this mistake and you know i could have done a million different things and the thing that i did made people feel uncomfortable um you know once me and her spoke you know she, she you know we, we were good you know i explained where i was where my head was at at the time it was to be dismissive and be a jerk. You know, there was there was nothing sexual about the, the, the interaction. I didn't look at her. I didn't shake my hips at her. It was just, um, you know, our respective heights made it as, as such that, you know, she was in a bit of a compromising position for a couple of seconds. Um, after we spoke, there was no issue. You know, I, I apologized if, if in the moment it made her feel any certain way. She respected, you know, my, my apology. We, we had a good conversation. Um, but then I was being asked to make a public apology. And at the time I didn't understand why anybody but her needed uh, an apology, right? She was the only opinion that mattered to me. Yeah. And it was like, well, you know, people online, they're really upset. And I was like, well, wasn't that the point? Like, I'm, I'm a bad guy. Like they're supposed to be angry. They're supposed to be upset. Of course, that wasn't a nice thing to do. That was the whole point of it was to kind of take the heat off of her for making a mistake and put it on me, the bad guy, you know? And I just didn't understand the, the mindset of why the public needed an apology because the whole point of what I did was to make them mad at me, you know? And so then, you know, the word sexual harassment starts getting thrown out there by people. And, and again, you know, it just took this life of its own. And, and I didn't really understand what was happening because again, me and her had never had any issues previously. We never had any issues after that. Um, and, you know, it was it was it was a difficult situation to go through because, you know, what my intention was and then what was being said about me were, were completely night and day. And um, so I think but, you know, the problem and why I pushed so hard against that was because once that label of sexual harassment is placed on you, whether it's warranted or not, that's really hard to, to shake. That's really hard to get rid of. Right. Because we know nowadays people read a headline and they don't necessarily read the whole article or the whole story or if there's a correction or a retraction, they often don't see that, right? They just see the initial and then they form their opinion and that's it. Once the opinion's formed, 
very rarely do people ever go back and form a new opinion because then they'd have to admit they were wrong. And our egos don't like to admit that we're wrong very often. So I think that was kind of the, that kind of set the table, right? Um, you know, then you have the reports over the years of me being hard to work with, you know, behind the scenes. And, uh, you know, is there some truth to that? Yeah, I'll own some of that because I'm an opinionated. I, I think that we should treat people a certain way in the wrestling industry, uh, as we know, hasn't always treated the performers uh, in the best manner. Um, you know, the people that have run, run the show haven't always been the most upstanding human beings. They haven't always been the most honest. Um, you know, these are things I've had to navigate throughout, throughout my career. Um, my issues in wrestling have very rarely, if ever, had anything to do with um, my standing in the company, wins or losses, title belts, anything like that. I've always pushed back against the way that they treat people right and 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 the way the business is done it's very rarely ever been about me or my own situation personally as far as where i'm positioned creatively or anything like that um but i'm also someone who you know i don't mind a good spirited debate you know like hey let's let's you know if you believe this strongly i believe this strongly let's let's hash it out let's talk about it you know and i'm not afraid to be wrong i'm not afraid to learn something new um but that's not always welcome i always say in a corporate setting they don't like why sirs they like yes sirs they like good soldiers that just say yes, sir, and they do the job. And they don't question why they're doing that job. And uh, I'm a bit of an inquisitive mind, so I've always had the question why. Well, why am I doing this? Because I want to understand why I'm doing it so that I can I can learn, right? I, I can comprehend and, and, and so that for the next time around, I have a better idea of, of why these things are happening. Um, so, you know, you couple those things. Then, you know, I was very outspoken. Uh, early on during the, the COVID pandemic of, of my beliefs of, of what's what's happened, uh, my beliefs about, you know, health care, uh, my beliefs about, you know, the, the different measures that the government was taking. Um, I'm not alone in those thoughts, but, you know, a lot of those people that had those opinions were censored very early on. They were uh, ostracized. But as we've now gotten two plus years into it, we see a lot of those people were right. And a lot of the things they were saying were right on, but people didn't want to give them the credit. So, um, you know, I got my head taken off, uh, you know, for a lot of the things I posted early on my social media about what was happening. And um, so, you know, you, you couple that, you know, and, and then, uh, you know, then again, go back to the Christy Hemi thing. You have the sexual harassment label. So then it's easy to start, you know, bringing up other stories, you know, surface, you know, from a, you know, example uh you know Rhett, Rhett titus student of mine you know he did a shoot interview some years back he talked about uh a scenario where uh, his girlfriend was in the locker room and uh and and i'll just say it she kissed my balls like what do you want me to tell you it happened i'm, I'm not going to run from the facts the facts are she kissed my balls uh she did it willingly she did it i would almost say gleefully maybe a little little too gleefully right uh um there's a whole story and context behind it. She was putting kisses on all the wrestlers with her lipstick. Um, she didn't really belong in the locker room, but she was going to accompany him to the ring that night. And she was getting a little flirtatious in the locker room. And I kind of told her to kind of knock it off, cut it out. This isn't high school that, you know, she needs to act a certain way if she's going to be in here. And, um, you know, I told her this isn't high school. And if you keep talking like that and acting like that, somebody's going to call your bluff. And, uh, you know, she said to me, well, who says I'm bluffing? And, you know, my response and maybe we can we can we can debate if it was the correct response or not. But 
my left testicle came out and I said, well, put your money where your mouth is, uh, expecting that the, at this point she would maybe realize you know, that, that this was serious. And she, and to my surprise, she actually kissed my testicle, um, you know? And uh, so I had to go show rat like, Hey man, you might want to corral your, your girl over here because she's acting a little inappropriate. So, so that story resurfaced. And, and, and then of course the headline is Austin Aries, you know, forces woman to kiss his balls, you know, Austin Aries admits to sexual assault and like, well, but that's not what happened. Nobody was forced. Nobody was coerced. Nobody was pressured. Nobody was tricked. Um, you know, she did this, uh, she was an adult and she made a choice to do this. And, uh, but again, you take all these things and people, you know, wanting to believe a certain narrative about me. And, uh, so then that, that got mischaracterized as something that it wasn't. So, you add all these things up, you know, and, and I'm, a, I'm a terrible, terrible human being um, because even though we know pro wrestling isn't real, um, we know that we know that Austin Aries is really a terrible human being in real life, even though most people have never met me in real life. So they have no idea who I am or who I'm not. They're basing it off of things they read on the Internet, which may or may not be true or may or may not come from a certain perspective that has a bias. But that's the world we live in. And so I've accepted that people are going to believe what they want about me. And it's, it's no longer my job to try to change people's opinions uh, because that a lot of times ends up being futile and you'll just drive yourself nuts because people are going to believe what they want to believe. Uh, and that's just the world we live in. And if they don't like you and they hear that story with Brett Titus's girlfriend, I mean, they're going to double down. You know what I mean? Well, they're, they're, that's going to make them fire uh, it up even more. They're going to double well, down on it. Today's episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. Our partner has a product I literally use every day. I started using AG1 because I really didn't have the time to work out. I wanted better gut health. I wanted more energy. I want to optimize my immune system. I hate taking pills. I hate taking vitamins. But I wanted a supplement that actually tastes great. I wanted to see what all the hype was about. So I looked into Athletic Greens, and they are a lifestyle-friendly brand. It, whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, they contain one less gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, or artificial anything, while still tasting good. They support better sleep quality and better recovery. They support mental clarity and alertness. Tons of people take some kind of multivitamin, and it's important to choose one with high-quality ingredients that your body will actually absorb. AG1 is a small micro habit with big benefits. AG1 is one thing you can do every single day to take care of yourself. It costs you less than $3 a day. Think about it. You're investing in your health, and it's cheaper than your cold brew habit. It's cheaper than getting all the different supplements yourself, and you're investing in an all-in-one nutritional insurance. For each purchase, we will donate organizations helping to get nutritious food to kids in need, including No Kid Hungry here in the U.S. In 2020, AG donated over 1.2 million meals to kids. Right now, to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, it's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you one year free. That is right, folks. One free year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase 
All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash emerging. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash emerging to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. They'll double down on it. And again, they'll take, you know, and the wrestling, you know, these different dirt sheets are good at taking something and creating a headline that's has a little bit of truth in it, but, but, you know, 2% truth in it. Again, I've never admitted to sexual assaulting anybody because I've never sexual assaulted a person in my life. I've never sexually harassed, assaulted, coerced, forced, pressured anything to any, to any female or male in my entire life, not my career or my life. It's just not who I am as a person. And, and again, the headline came from, not from, not from this female speaking out about it. It was from, you know, Rhett and Kenny recalling this time this happened and then someone taking that story that was done for a shoot interview and then making it sound like this woman came out and said it and that wasn't the case and then characterizing as somehow I forced this woman to do something which just wasn't true um, and the whole point of that story was I always told my stu- students don't bring your your girlfriends in the locker room or girls don't bring your boyfriends in the locker room like we're working there's locker room talk. People are getting changed. It's just not an environment where you bring your significant other because nothing good is going to come of it. Right. And so that that was, you know, I, I made a comment like, you know, my student learned a lesson in that moment. It was an unorthodox way for him to learn the lesson, but he learned why I said, don't bring your girlfriends in the locker room because it's it's an environment where they're, where, again, they don't belong and nothing good comes of it. And this was an example of, of that, you know, and so, um, but again, you know, you write a headline, people read it and they take that and they run with it. And if you already don't like me and you already have these other things hanging over your head, um, it's easy to just attach it to you. And, uh, and again, that's why, that's why the bomb for glory thing was so easy for people to believe because I gave them exactly what they already thought they knew about me. And so, well, of course they're all going to bite on this because this is exactly what they think I would do. And four years later, people are still insistent that, you know, I was unprofessional and went into business for myself and all these different things that, again, you know, I hate to I hate to break kayfabe, but it just it wasn't the truth. Right. It just wasn't the truth. I was going to ask you about that, because that's obviously another controversy that they say. That yeah. Were- and that's one really people, you know, a lot of people, too, still very, very angry at me about that. You know, um, so unprofessional to no sell his move like that. And, and get up the way I did and leave, you know, and point up to Ed Nordholm and, and Scott, I guess. Yeah. Like, you know, and, yeah. Well, how do you know that I pointed up to them? Uh, I was there. So I was just guessing that's where Ed was. I was like, sure. so I was, I was somewhere like near the first row. So I was like, he yeah. must be pointing at Ed or something. Cause I knew he was there. Cause, um, Don, I knew well, somebody that worked there that said all the major yeah. people were, were in the Yeah, Don was up there. But but I but but this is the question I ask all the people is how do they know that I did that? How do they know that I got up after a few seconds and no sold and flipped everybody off? How did they know? Because the camera was on me. Well, yeah, well, that's true. That's very so true. Yeah. This question: If I really went into business for myself and none of that was planned, why would they keep the cameras on me? Why would they? Why would they have the camera on me the whole time so you all got to watch it? Wouldn't they just cut the camera to Johnny and you never even saw that I was there? 
You never saw that's that I true. got up and walked to the back. You never saw that I flipped anybody off. They would have just kept the camera in the middle of the ring on Johnny Impact, the new champion. Yeah, they would have. Yeah, definitely. I would think so. They, you know, there was a camera waiting for me backstage. As soon as I got through the curtain, I cursed out Scott. Why would there be a camera there waiting? Why would they? Why would they even get that on video? See, the, the, these are the questions that the fans, and not even just the fans, but you know, the workers in the business who are who also have, have you know commented about this over the years. It's like if you're so smart to what we do, did you think about that? When you yeah, when you are, are perfectly in place, yeah, exactly. perfectly in place to see the whole interaction, right? If that was really going on, don't you think they would have cut the cameras and you never would have even known that I did that? I can't make them put me on camera. Right? Right. Yep. But again, people are going to the character. Yeah. They're going to believe what they want to believe. So it doesn't matter. I could literally show you the text messages between me and John that we sent back and forth before Bound for Glory, after Bound for Glory. There was never any heat between us, right? You know, the, the tweet I put out about, about his wife, all these things that they were completely in the know about. I mean, I'll be honest, John, I hate that I even have to expose all this because I am like very old school that I appreciate the magic and the work of pro right. wrestling, yep. but it got to a point to where it, it it's affected my career because people think I'm unprofessional, you know, and honestly, it really might be the other way around. Like, I'm so committed to this craft and the way that I broke in is where we're trying to create this illusion and blur the lines of reality. I didn't want to tell anybody. I wanted, I, I would love for people to think this all was real. And, and, you know, if somebody, if anybody announced a match between me and Morrison right now, do you not think there would be intrigue in that match four years later after that event? Yep. People would bring up, they got heat. They have heat. They would definitely say that. So, you know, for me, wrestling is about creating moments and, and, you know, you can argue if it was the right move or not, but nobody will ever forget that, that match. You know, I mean, it, people still talk about it to this day. Millions of people watched that clip the following week that probably had no idea that impact wrestling was a thing or that John Morrison was still wrestling. You know, um, that wasn't supposed to be the final act. You know, there was the, the intention was always for me to, that was really just to keep the heat for the rematch. Cause I thought we had people so invested that, you know, that rematch could be just as, just as, you know, buzzworthy and people would be even more invested to see that, you know, the rematch just never happened. And so therefore the story, you know, uh, kind of took, took a different direction as far as what people thought happened. And they think that, you know, I was blackballed or, you know, I, again, went into business for myself. Um, just not the case. Why no rematch? Um, again, this and, and this is where this is where my regret does come in. And I and I just talked about this uh, on, on Brian's podcast. You know, they they put a contract offer on the table for me after Bound for Glory, a multi-year deal. Um, and I just decided to pass on it. I was going through some other things in my personal life that I made a decision that it was best to to not take that that contract at the time. Um, I was still I was still interested and willing to to have the rematch. You know, I just didn't want to sign a multi-year deal just because I was working through some other stuff. And and that was it, you know. And so once I passed on the contract offer, I just never came back. And so, therefore, there was no rematch. It was definitely talked about. We discussed a couple of the different scenarios where it could have happened. It just never came together. I think that adds to the myth of, of the heat because there wasn't a rematch. Like, oh, well, that must have heat. They wouldn't want to work together. Yeah. 
Yeah, or again, he was totally unprofessional, went into business for himself, so they decided to never use him again. And, you know, but the reality is it was actually my decision not to come back. Um, you know, it wasn't their decision not to have me back. And, uh, you know, again, I, you know, I'm, I'm not one of these people who says, oh, I have no regrets in life. Um, I don't carry those regrets because I believe everything brings me to the place I'm supposed to be right now for whatever reason it might be. I don't always understand those reasons. Um, but at the time I made a decision that I wasn't in a place where I thought that was uh, the best thing for me. Um, but looking back, you know, especially with the way things played out and, and the perception that that created, um, you know, I, I do wish I would have taken that contract if for nothing else, just to have that rematch, just so that the the story ended differently than it did. I mean, it was hot at the point, too, because people were interested. Like I said, a million people were watching. People were interested in Battle for Glory. Obviously, I mean, that place was beyond sold out. It was like uh, it was so crammed in there. It was, it was ridiculous. Um I'm sure the fire department wouldn't have loved, you know, like how many people were crammed in there, but it was, there was interest for sure in that match. Yeah. And it's not easy. Listen, in this day and age, it was, Oh, kayfabe's dead. And, you know, I was, I was extremely proud that, you know, and I think John, you know, felt the same way. I don't want to speak for him, but just in, in our talk, you know, in our discussions that, you know, we show that it's not, you just have to, you have to work the fans a little differently than we did in the eighties or the seventies. Right. Because they are smart, but you can use what they think they know against them just as easily. Right. And so that was the whole premise of that. We had really, you know, people believing there was legitimate heat, um, you know, and, and we weren't, you know, working together and all these things. And, uh, you know, and, and obviously I knew that, like, like, let's be honest, if I would have laid there for two or three more seconds or I would have or if I would have winced in pain just a little bit more, no controversy. No one talks about it. Yep. You know, it's, you have to step on the line or just a little bit over it or people don't even don't even acknowledge it. It's again the same with that tweet I put out that started all of it. I knew if I said certain words in that tweet and as long as the context of me using those words wasn't derogatory or didn't cross the line. But just by saying these words, right, just by calling her husky, watch everybody lose their mind. Yep. And it, it was like, again, like, you know, just. Geppetto with the with the puppet strings, knowing how these people will react. And it's exactly what happened, you know, but if, but if you don't step on the line and if you don't offend, then it never happened. It's like the, the tree that falls in the forest and when nobody's around, nobody hears it and nobody and nobody reacts. So, again, that's that that's that very difficult line that we try to walk or that I've tried to walk as a heel performer is, well, how do I get them to dislike me? You know, and, and how far over the line do I need to go to elicit a real emotional reaction? Not one of these, you know, I'll use an example of, you know, MJF, where I'll read a lot of the online sentiments. Oh, he's such a great bad guy. Well, if you're saying that, is he really that good of a bad guy? Because if you love him and you acknowledge and you realize he's just playing a part and he's so good at being a bad guy and you like him for his character, that's is true. he really a bad guy? Yeah. But conversely, if you Google my name, this guy's a huge piece of shit. He's a degenerate. He's an awful human being. And I'm like, now that's a good bad guy. Because these people have never sat in the living room with me and had a real conversation. They have no idea who Dan Sowald is. But man, they know Austin Aries. That guy's a terrible human being. And I'm thinking, man, like I thought that was what I was trying to accomplish. But Times have changed, cultures changed, pro wrestling's changed, 
And, you know, I come from a little bit of, a, of the old guard, you know, and, and so maybe I was a little late to adjust to the times and, uh, and maybe it's cost me a little bit in some, in some areas. That is true on MJF because I, I think he's a great heel. I think he's doing a great job, but he's got so many fans. It's almost like, is he a heel? It's almost like he's like the anti-hero kind of, kind of vibe. Or, or when you can readily acknowledge that, oh, but this guy's just playing that part. Well, then I haven't really blurred the lines, have I? You know, and to me, wrestling, that's the beauty of this art form is that we blur the lines and you don't know where reality stops and the fiction begins. And if you do, then I could argue that you're not as good of a magician as you think you are. And so I like to think I'm like the last real magician who can still pull off the magic trick, even though everybody knows the magic isn't real. Now, and, and keeping in that too, the rant room. So when that guy went in there, he really hated you, right? I'm, I'm guessing that's why he wanted to go in there and say something. So he didn't really hate me. He was actually a fan of mine, but he was very nervous to express how much he disagreed with my takes on COVID or vaccines or masks. Um, again, he came in there fully masked up, which, you know, if that makes him feel better, I have no problem with that. Right. Everyone do what you need to do to feel safe. Um, you know, we can argue the science and the statistics, but we all know that every study, every science, every statistic could be cherry picked to tell us what we want to hear. Right. And, and, and I always go with this at the end of the day, especially when people so passionately debate that they're right and somebody else is wrong. None of us know. None of us yeah. know anything. We, we see 0.005% of the light spectrum. We're literally blind. Right. The earth is a fraction of the size of a pinhead in the universe. Yet we think we're these, you know, smart, intelligent, evolved beings. We're really not. We're dumb, we're deaf, and we're blind. But we're so convinced that we're not. So when people hold these truths, what is the truth? We don't know the truth. And my favorite saying and quote about myself is I'm smart enough to know that I'm not smart enough to know. That's why I ask a lot of questions. Right. And, and that's why I leave all possibilities on the table. So, you go, oh, you're a conspiracy theorist. Well, I leave all possibilities on the table because I don't know. But for you to sit there and say, well, that's just a stupid conspiracy theory. Well, now that's kind of arrogant and ignorant because you're now alluding to the fact that somehow you you got some book of the ultimate truth that I wasn't given. And you know that couldn't possibly be real. How do you know? We don't know anything. We're literally all taking educated guesses. You know, it's like this is the Truman Show. But it's like Truman never figured it out. And now we're like the great grandkids of Truman. And when you try to explain to people like, hey, like this is all kind of man-made bullshit at the end of the day. Our lives have been built on 99% lies, right? You go back and study Western medicine and allopathy and how we came to this consensus of the germ theory and what that was able to usher in as far as pharmaceutical drugs. You know, you go back and look at the education system and who's funded it and, you know, who's writing the curriculum that teachers are now teaching kids, right? If you don't go back and study these things, you have no idea how we got here. You just accept these things as truth. But what is truth? We don't know. Right. How did the pyramids get built? Do we really know? No, we know what a book tells us in third grade, but we don't really know the truth. Somebody wrote that because that's what they wanted us to believe. But none of us know what the truth is. So I was tell like, keep an open mind. Stop thinking your way is the only way in the right way, because honestly, none of us know shit about anything. Right. So as far as this rant room goes, he, he was a fan of mine and he started with all the good stuff. And then it was like, but there was this butt that he, I can just tell he wanted to say butt. And if I said, but what, man, just spit it out. It's cool. Like, 
I can take criticism. I don't mind a good debate. You think something I think is full of shit? Tell me. I'm not going to get offended. And so he just, I think you really shouldn't say your opinions online so much. I said, okay, why? Well, I mean, he just, he didn't have a good reason. And it's like, hey, it's okay. You know, not everyone's going to agree with me, you know? And, and I know that when you're outspoken, uh, you open yourself up to criticism. You open yourself up to people who want to dunk on you and, you know, call you names and, and, and all these different things. That's all right. I don't mind for whatever reason. That's why I was put on this earth and in, in, in this, uh, in, in, in this form at this, in this life, life, you know, lifetime, right. I'm, I'm wired that way. I'll take it. You know, I'm strong enough to handle it. And uh, so no, it wasn't like some fan. And, and I think that was kind of the whole point of the rant room is how many of you who sit on your computers saying all these nasty negative things about someone you've never met and never been face to face with would be willing to have that same energy when you're in a room with them. And very, very few people do. You know, and so it's something to think about, you know, when you when you're spewing these things online, you know, would you say that to somebody if they were sitting next to you? And, and so it was this opportunity to get, hey, if you have something you that you feel that strongly about that you really want to get off your chest, I'm mad enough to sit in front of you and let you say it and let you say it without you know, yelling back at you. You paid for you paid for the ticket. You paid for this time. Say what you need to say. I'm mad enough to hear it. It's not going to bother me. And who knows, maybe maybe something you say spark something in my brain and makes me go, hmm, that's an interesting point. And then maybe I reevaluate my opinion and I come up with a different idea after that. And I go, ah, I learned something today. That's a good day, you know? Um, so that's kind of what it was originally in its form. You know, I think that the rant room is going to, is going to morph and evolve into something even greater to where it can be an idea where it's not about necessarily having to spew negativity and hate, but if you want to, if you want to really, have an in-depth, real conversation about something you're feeling inside, a problem you're having, you know, whatever it might be, that, that you have the opportunity to have a safe place where you can be authentic, you can be real, and you can say whatever's in your heart without being judged and without being lashed at. You know, and that's I think that's the big problem in our society right now. A lot of people are afraid to say what they really feel and think because of the backlash, because of the mon the monkey mind, because of the the, you know, the pile on mentality that if someone doesn't say something that fits the current narrative, then they're going to get jumped on and they're going to get piled on by all these people. And we want to create an environment where that's not the case where people can speak freely. And even if it's something that maybe someone else doesn't agree with, it's okay. We can have a conversation about it without calling names, without throwing your anti this, you're a phobic that and, and let people actually, you know, encourage people to have the courage to speak from their heart and speak their mind without the repercussions of being slammed back and piled on and called out and canceled. Got another, I guess not controversy, but strange. WrestleMania 33, you versus Neville pre-show. Why pre-show? Why not on the main show? Any idea? Not the pre-show, the kickoff show. I was corrected on that a hundred times leading up to it. It's not the pre-show, it's the kickoff show. Because, you know, semantics matter sometimes. Um, I, I have no idea. I mean, listen, is 205 Live still around? No. Okay. Well, for as much as they talked about wanting to build this brand and have it be its own standalone entity, the things that they did with it didn't necessarily match that. So, you know, I don't know why they put it in the position they did. I would just say because, hey, 
there's so much great talent there and there's only so many hours for WrestleMania. You can't possibly put everybody on this, on the main show. I mean, that's just the reality of it. I didn't take it as a slight personally. I had no issue with it personally. I was so grateful and excited to walk out in front of 70,000 people for WrestleMania at 38 years old after I've been told no so many times over my career because I wasn't big enough, because I was too old, whatever the case may be, that I actually had somehow manifested this on my own in a lot of ways to be able to walk out that ramp in front of 70,000 people who were in their seats ready to watch what they thought might be the best match of the night. And I had been to other WrestleManias and, and, you know, a lot of times people were still trickling in the stadium. They weren't in their seat. They weren't ready because uh, they weren't afraid what, they were going to miss anything special. But, you know, I think we both took some pride that, man, this place is pretty full already and, and people are ready for this match and they're excited for this match. Um, but again, the people who make those decisions above my pay grade, um, you know, I thought it was a missed opportunity, though, to show the fans in the WWE universe that the 205 Live brand mattered and that it was important. They could have gave that brand a better position on that card if they really wanted to highlight it, if they really wanted to spotlight it, because I think that everybody had to know that we were going to go out there and deliver a great match and a quality match that would have fit anywhere on that card. And so I thought that, you know, my only disappointment would have been if they were serious about making 205 Live into its own important entity, they weren't showing people by putting it in the position they did. Yeah, for sure. But it was always like a funny thing. It's like, wow, you got Neville, you got Aries. They're going to knock it out of the park. It's going to be awesome. We can't wait for TN's show. And it's like, it's on the kickoff show. It's kind of like, uh, like as a yeah. fan, it's, like, uh, it's kind of a, you know, a shitty because we were expecting you guys to be on the main show. Yeah. I think, and, and, and that's the point is I think it meant, it meant more of a, dis- it meant more to the fans in a negative yeah. aspect. And I think it maybe did to, I know for me personally, like I wasn't boo-boo faced or I wasn't, you know, upset about it. I mean, I was, again, I was just grateful to like, you know, my people never even get to be on a kickoff show that go through that company that are there for years and years and years. I'd only been there 18 months, you know? So like I was, I was extremely proud and excited to, to be walking out there. Um, but yeah, I think to the fans, it, because they understood what that meant. Ah, they're putting them on this. They don't really care about these guys, right? And listen, the cruiserweights have always been positioned as the undercards, right? Despite the fact that in every other combat sport, usually the guys that sell the tickets are the smaller the smaller weights. Again, Conor McGregor's not a heavyweight, you know? Nope. Uh, you know, if you really look at a lot of the money matches over the years, these weren't the, the, the heavyweights that, that sold the tickets. So, the, you know, but only in pro wrestling because, you know, certain people and what they liked, and again, you know, listen, I always said this, it's Vince McMahon's, you know, it's his promotion. He's paying everybody and he has a preference of what he likes and doesn't like. I'm okay with that. If I don't like it, I'll start my own wrestling promotion and do it the way I want. But until I'm in that position, I can't sit here and bitch and moan. You know, I just have to understand that that that's, that's how it is. And, and, you know, play with the cards that I'm dealt. And I thought we did that. We went out there and I took it again. I, I'm a, ba- I was a baseball player growing up. I was a leadoff hitter. Was I angry that I wasn't batting cleanup? No, my job was to go out there and set the tone, set the table. And so that's the way I looked at it. There's, there's, there's a few very important, you know, positions on the card. And first is a very important position because you set the tone for the night, right? Obviously your main event is always going to get the spotlight, but that first match is very important. And so I understood that. And it's like, well, we're going to set the bar here. And now we're going to challenge everybody else to, to, to exceed that bar. 
And, you know, to the fans in the stadium, they didn't know where the, where the main show started or where the, 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 the kickoff show you know, ended and the, and the main show started because they were there for all of it. You know, they didn't, it's not like they didn't see the, the, the pre-show matches, you know, any differently than the main show matches. That was one big card of wrestling. So for those 70,000 people, that match was ex- extremely important. And I thought we went out there and did a hell of a job. Yeah, great match. One of those things where it's like, like as a fan, you're like, damn, that should have been on the show. But like you said, more to us than, than to you guys. Yeah, for yeah. sure. With just just the landscape of your career, I just wanted to go back because I love this. Ring of Honor, early 2000s. I mean, this is like my bread and butter because WWE at this point, I mean, not a fan. It was really lacking. It was struggling. Generation Next starts. And I was just yeah. talking to Jack Evans about it. He said, you guys were so different, but when you came together – you just didn't know like where ROH was going because of the our video controversy. It, it, yeah. It's like you know, Samoa Joe's leaving, Daniels is leaving, so all the pressure is on you guys. Home run. I mean, speaking yeah. of uh, you know, maybe a leadoff hitter with the Ricky Henderson style lead, leading off yeah. for the home run, but man, Gen Next killed it for you for Ring of Honor. Yeah. I think it's one of those cases where sometimes like ignorance is, is bliss, and we were all so fresh and new at that time in our careers. That I don't even think like. That, that pressure really was even entered the equation. I don't think we even understood the gravity. I don't think it was until a couple of years later where Gabe really told me like, Hey man, like if you guys want to have succeeded, like, I don't know if the company would have stayed in business because they were in such in flux and they really needed some new stars and they just gave us the ball and, and Gabe didn't know what was going to happen. And yeah, we, we, you know, we gelled and it worked and, and thankfully it worked and it, and, um, and it helped ring of honor in the process to kind of create this new generation of stars and new storylines. But I don't think at the time, like for all of us, it was like, Oh man, like, you know, we've all been working hard to just have an opportunity in this company because this is, this is kind of the new hot thing in the place that you can get seen and catapult your career. But I don't think any of us really understood the gravity of like, you know, Oh man, there's a lot of pressure on us to go out here tonight and do X, Y, or Z. We just kind of went out and did our thing, you know? And, and, I think it was good that we were so different because we all brought something a little different to the table, which, you know, I always think a good team does, you know, it's like, you know, we all, we all filled in the gaps where the other guys didn't, you know, Jack was such a unique in-ring performer. And then also like he kind of brought that hip hop flavor that, you know, the rest of us didn't really have, you know, Shelly's so technical, you know, and, and intelligent in his way, you know, Roderick kind of the bruiser who's, you know, break your back 150 different ways. And I'm just kind of this hybrid guy who was a little older than everybody that, you know, you know, just kind of brought this different aura than the other guys did. And and it worked, you know, and, and thankfully it did. And, um, you know, we've all gone off to have, you know, amazing careers. And, and you know, it's kind of cool that that's where it all started. Man, and I know I talked about this with you last time, but I was at Final Battle 04 when you beat Smojo for the title. Nobody, I felt like, thought you were going to win just because Joe was running through everybody. He's just dominant yeah. champion, man. You know, but you're on your edge of the seat as as you kick him in the head, and, you know, and you're about to do the fourth. And the crowd's getting into it. But I, I don't know if you remember this. Gabe, like, jumps out and goes nuts. So like the booker of the show, the guy running the show, because the crowd was so into it, like yeah. he got invested in you beating yeah. Smojo for the title. And I feel like, I mean, home, like, talk about another home run. That was a home run because. Joe was the you know the franchise you know like oh shit Joe is the man here like if if the guy if somebody beats him how's the crowd going to react they right. react exactly how he wanted them to react yeah I mean he put a lot of you know a lot of trust and and you know he gambled and put me in that position because if it had, if it had fallen flat or it had kind of been a dud 
you know, this whole amazing run and everything that Joe had done for that title wouldn't, wouldn't have really paid off the way that it should have. Right. And so, um, you know, I've gone back and watched that match recently and I was like, man, I was so green and like, you know, thank you, Joe, for like really, you know, carrying a lot of that match. Cause I was just, you know, I was just doing the best I could for my, for my experience level at the time. Um, but yeah, you know, I think that we even structured that match and the whole idea was to kind of have that match feel like just another Samoa Joe title defense. One of these ones that you just kind of get through to the next guy. And, and so the way that whole match was structured from the beginning kind of felt like that. And then there was this moment and I remember thinking when, you know, I was like, there's no one move I'm going to hit on this guy. That's going to beat him. What I need is a moment, a, a small crack that opens up to where I can hit this flurry of moves in succession to have a chance to beat this guy who's been unstoppable. And that was it. You know, he had me up for the muscle buster and it looked like it was going to be the finish. And I was able to slip down his back and hit that crucifix driver, which, you know, that was, that created that moment. And then it was this quick flurry of the forearm. And then, you know, I kicked him in his shin that got him to his knee. Then I put that kick to his face. And like that moment where people went, Oh shit. And then it was like the brain buster. And then people were like, is this really going to happen? And then you'll climb to the top and hit that 450. And, you know, going back and watching, it was like, it's a cool thing when you can kind of, you can kind of see something in the back in your head of what, of how you think they should react or respond. And then in the moment while you're doing it, you're like, yes, this is exactly what I hoped they would do. We're getting the exact reaction we wanted and we, and we executed, you know, and it created that moment that, you know, will we'll kind of live in history of, of ring of honor and pro wrestling. It was crazy because like you're almost like as you're going through that sequence, I remember like moving closer to the edge of my seat, closer. You know, I'm on the bleachers, but it's like you're closer, closer. Like no way, no way. And it's like, oh, I can't believe that happened. I mean, just utter shock. But the crowd was nuts. I mean, yeah. it was it was also like you said. You mean you had him in the palm of your hands? It was such a great moment for Ring of Honor. Yeah, well, and, and you know, it just goes to show too is you know, a lot of times wrestling can be so predictable you know, so paint by numbers. And so a lot of the smart fans who watch it, it's like, we already kind of know what's going to happen before it happens. So we can throw that curveball, and you can give people the unexpected, you know, it shows it creates these real authentic moments of emotion. And for me, that's, that's the best part of wrestling is taking people on that emotional roller coaster. And I think it's something I've always tried to do. And, and it's helped me in my wrestling career is go, what can I do that they haven't seen? What can I do that they're not going to expect? What can I do that that, you know, that, that they couldn't predict. And so a lot of my moments, you know, is trying to create moments again, going back to bound for glory. Like what can I do? They're not going to expect. What can I do that? They're going to go, wait, what just happened? You know, because a lot of times, you know, it's always, I want to do something different. You know, we know, we know, we know that, you know, A, B and C works, but let me give them, you know, G, F and Q. And like, wait a minute, those letters don't go <laughs> in that order. It's like, well, they do now. And it worked, you know, because you were expecting something and I give you something different. And then that's what creates this thing of like, hey, I, I want to go see Austin Aries wrestle because I never know what I'm going to see. It's unpredictable. I know I'm going to see a good match. I know he's going to work his ass off, but he always gives me something different that nobody else does. And so that's where I've always that's where my brain's always been when I go out there and perform. As we hit the wind down, we head towards the finish here. But that's uh, that's great, though, to be unpredictable. I mean, I, I love that and kind of give them something that they're not expecting. But what's next for you? What's uh, what's coming up? Uh, you know, really just, you know, enjoying life, man. I mean, that's that's the biggest thing. You know, I think sometimes we get so caught up and I know I have in my career. Right. 
uh, we get so caught up in our accomplishments, you know, um, things, you know, whether it's houses or vehicles or status, you know, um, we, we get so focused on, on the destination and we forget to enjoy the journey. And I think if anything, what the last two and a half years taught me is everything can change like this, you know, and, and the things that you held true yesterday, all of a sudden the rules change and, and they're no longer true. So I've really challenged myself the last couple of years to really be in the moment and enjoy today, be grateful for today. You know, every day I wake up, my job is to be happy because a lot of times we forgot forgo happiness um, for all these false, you know, things that we chase that we think are going to make us happy. We accomplish those things and then we realize, oh, that's not it. That's not the thing that makes me happy. So from a personal standpoint, that's my focus from, you know, from a wrestling standpoint, you know, I'm going to keep helping the control your narrative brand, um, you know, excited to do more work behind the scenes, something I've been interested in for a long time. You know, we've taken a big bite of the apple with this tour. It's going to be a lot of moving pieces. So right now it's really just focusing on that. Um, and, and, and then just let life come to me and, and, and figure it out as it goes, you know, go with the flow. Don't get too, uh, don't get too overly attached to any certain outcome. I think that's something that maybe plagued me in, in my wrestling career and something that I kind of warn younger uh, wrestlers about is we get too attached to a storyline. Um, we get too attached to a character idea, to a move, to something we want to do in a promo and these things change. And if you're not, and if you're too attached to these things that when they change, um, it can affect you, right? It can, it can make you upset. It can, it can make you angry. Right. So, um, there's a good saying, I think, you know, I pulled from Tony Robbins, you know, instead of having expectations, have preferences, things that you prefer happen, but not that you expect to happen. And when you change your expectations to preferences, then you're not as let down if it doesn't happen exactly the way that you wanted it to happen. So that's kind of where I'm at in my life. You know, um, I've still got a lot left in the tank. I'm just being very judicious about where I spend it. I'm not necessarily looking to go anywhere full time and go back into that grind. Um, but again, I'm always open to listen to offers and opportunities. But right now, you know, Control Your Narratives offer me a great opportunity to to be myself, to, to bring what I bring to the table and, and to help, you know, some of these younger talents, you know, get to where they want to be, you know, and that's kind of where I'm at in my career. I've had my run. I've been successful. I've done everything more than I ever wanted to do. And so now I'm interested in being able to help these younger performers figure out what they need to do to get to where they want to go. Um, but doing a way to where they value the journey, not just the destination. That's so right. And expectations. Literally yesterday, my buddy was saying that because I said, saying like, did somebody piss me off? And he's like, why? And I was like, I was expecting them to do this. Yeah. And he goes, you shouldn't expect. He goes, that's why you're mad. He goes, you should be yep. mad at yourself for expecting them. Yeah. Yep. So very true. Yeah, we have all these rules. Well, you're supposed to do this. Well, there's no supposed to. There's a, there's a supposed right. to in your mind, but that's not the same supposed in somebody else's mind. Well, you're supposed to hold those doors open for people. Well, I mean, you could debate that. I mean, but th there's no like golden rule. So yes, like I should do that because it makes me feel better as, as a human being to be kind and open a door for somebody else. But because somebody else doesn't open the door for me, that doesn't mean I should be angry at them because they might have a different supposed to in their mind, right? And so th this is the, you know, the things that I'm always reminding myself, or again, when you're driving, don't take it personally. Like this person didn't get up in the morning and go, I'm gonna screw up Austin Aries day by driving five miles below the speed limit 
in the right lane or, you know, in the left lane, you know, it's like, don't take it personally. You don't, you don't know what they're going through. You don't know their situation and, and it's, and they aren't going out of their way to make your life more difficult. Life's difficult for all of us. We're all dealing with things, ebbs and flows, ups and downs. We're all just trying to get through this life, this puzzle that we can't seem to figure out. Sometimes we're jamming the wrong pieces in the wrong places. We get frustrated, you know, so it's like, keep that in mind that we're all going through that. And so the more we can help everybody else, you know, and be kind to them and have that compassion and try to lead with understanding and less judgment, the better off we're going to be. Very, very true. Well said. Where can everybody follow you, social media and otherwise? Well, you can go to the cesspool of Twitter and find me at Austin Aries. Uh, you can also go to my Instagram at Austin Healy Aries. Uh, I post more of, you know, food stuff and pictures and things of that sort, you know, a little less wrestling on there. I find it to be a little less toxic. Um, and those are the main two places to follow me and everything that's going on. And if you're interested in getting a copy of my book, Food Fight, they're still available at my pro wrestling tea store. Go to PWTs.com, search for Austin Aries, and you'll find all the goodies there. Nice. Great stuff, Austin. Thank you for coming on once again. Really appreciate all the time. Thank you, John. Now I can't wait to see what salacious headline we're going to see in the next few days. Ah, <laughs> uh, yep. That yep. degenerate yep. Austin Aries, awful human. That's being. true. Yep. yep. Wait for it. Yep. That's true. <laughs> but thank you. Appreciate it. All right, Matt. Yep. Good night. This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Two Man Power Trip. You can check us out on Facebook. You can subscribe on YouTube. You can go to patreon.com slash tmptempire to become a patron and also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two-man power trip where the power lies, brother.